Hello. Hello. You are listening to This Is Awkward, the podcast about how to have difficult conversations. We are your hosts, Leanne Nicholl and Christy McLeod. Ever feel like you put your foot in your mouth more often than a contortionist? Or worse, say nothing at all when confronted with tricky subjects. We are here to help by dissecting what makes some conversations so difficult and how you can broach them. Life would be easier without awkward silences, faux pas and full-blown rows. We will be talking to some amazing guests who will recount some of their trickiest conversations and what they learnt from them. As well as offering some brilliant hints and tips on how to tackle some of life's most awkward topics. Time to fill those awkward silences. The subject we'll be talking about in this episode is miscarriage, which some listeners may find triggering. If this is a topic you find difficult to listen to, then you may want to skip over this episode. Today, we are speaking with highly acclaimed journalist and author Jenny Ag. Jenny specialises in women's health and, before going freelance, was deputy editor of Good Health, the Daily Mail's weekly health section. Earlier this year, Jenny released her fantastic book, Life Almost miscarriage, misconceptions, and a search for answers from the brink of motherhood. The book is incredibly moving, and as part memoir, part scientific investigation, charts Jenny's own motherhood journey, whilst looking at why we as a society view miscarriage in the way that we do. Thank you so much for joining us, Jenny. Oh, thank, thank you, Jenny. You. Oh, thank you for having me. No, thank you so much. Uh, we're really grateful to you for coming to talk about this subject. Um, so before we get into um, the questions, I thought it'd be useful to just give a little bit of background. Um, figures vary from source to source, but Tommy's, the Pregnancy Research and Information Charity, estimates that around one in five pregnancies ends in miscarriage. And that around one in 100 women in the UK experience recurrent miscarriages, which is three miscarriages or more in a row. That is such a lot of people being affected by this. Yet, as a conversation topic, miscarriage so often still remains painfully taboo, doesn't it? And I just wonder, Jenny, why do you think that is? Oh, it's such a good question, because I think in lots of... And this is something um, I try to answer really with the book um because I think it is quite complex and I think particularly at the moment I think there's almost an illusion of openness or increased openness whereas I think the reality um for lots of people is that they still feel like they they can't talk about it or can only talk about it in certain circumstances and I think um because it's something to do with reproductive health and also it intersects with grief um, and trying to conceive, which is generally a, a process that is kept quite secretive. I think the workplace, um, the modern workplace has a big part to play in keeping it uh, out of view and out not talked about still. Um, yeah, I think it's all those things really. And, you know, there's, it's a, it's a difficult experience and difficult, painful experiences um, and sometimes traumatic experiences can 
you know, we, we shut down and we, it's hard to talk about. And so that kind of keeps that cycle of um, taboo going, I think. You, you've mentioned in the book about how there is this kind of veneer of openness um, and kind of acceptability when the celebrities and really, you know, well-known celebrities like uh, the Duchess of Sussex, Meghan Markle and um, Michelle Obama, Christy Teigen, they're all talking about uh, pregnancy and baby loss. And there's a lot of people who do the um, blogs and journals online, but that openness doesn't yet translate to everyday uh, everyday lives. I know from my own experiences that people still really struggle with these conversations and yet it is in the media and it is in our consciousness quite a lot. Why do you think there's that divide between what is happening kind of in, in public life and in personal life when it comes to having these conversations around pregnancy loss? Oh, it's such a good question. Um <laughs> Oh, again, I mean, this is really, this is the crux of it, isn't it? And I, I think often those stories are, I think they're, they're often like not uh, numerous factors for why you, and I, I kind of think about this in relation to my own story um, and kind of why I can be, feel I can be relatively open and have been, you know, I, I started writing um about miscarriage right from the start really and I think part of that is my I was a journalist and I think you have a little bit more it's kind of part of the job isn't it like everything is copy um and also then I was self-employed so that that was a you know that freed me up a lot in terms of not um, not having not having to disclose to your employer. employer or kind of manage that relationship or kind of yeah, and you know, I had a very positive experience in terms of um, how I was treated in the workplace, which I know is not the case for everybody. Um, but even so, it does give you a bit more license to to be more open about what your next move is and what tests you're having, and when you know if you're trying to conceive. And um, I would absolutely you know, agree with that. I've seen recently on social media with Pregnant Then Screwed um, talking about how women are facing discrimination when they're talking about fertility issues. Um, yeah, I mean, it's 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 brilliant that that conversation is happening now. I think that I like fertility treatment in the workplace. And um, we've had this kind of a bit of discussion about miscarriage leave as well. Um, and I know there's there's an, an effort to to bring in some kind of statutory leave after pregnancy loss, which would be a very good um, kind of step, I guess. Um, yeah, so I think um, I think that all plays a part, really. Um, and I think often something that is perhaps missing. Um, when we see kind of stories in the mainstream um, of people sharing their stories, they're often told from a place of, I have, they've, someone's gone on to have a baby, they've gone on to have yeah. children. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's almost like that's a kind of uh, a safe place to speak about miscarriage from. Whereas what, when I'm coming back to what you were saying about how this translates to everyday conversations, I think that, moment 
when you have had a miscarriage and perhaps you don't have children yet um, or you don't have the longed for second or third child that you when they're still living in that uncertainty I think people really struggle to know what to say and that I think is where a lot of the well-intentioned but un um uh, unexpectedly yeah un- unhelpful comments mm-hmm. um come up because people are trying to fill that uncertain space really with things that they think will reassure you mm-hmm. and it is I, I and I still think um you know there are sides to this story that we don't hear we often don't hear from people who um who don't go on to have another baby after a loss um mm-hmm. and I think that's I I don't I haven't come across any statistics that exist on this um, because statistics on miscarriage are quite lacking across the board. Um, perhaps we'll come come on to that. But um, I think a very common experience logically is that for a lot of women, a miscarriage is perhaps their last experience of, of pregnancy. Um, you know, yeah. we know that it, we know that um, miscarriage becomes more likely as you get older mm-hmm. Um Reading that in your book, that 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 really kind of skewered me a little. Um, that that could be somebody's last experience. That's not something I've really seen in the mainstream, in the public. I mean, um, we're very uncomfortable with that. I think that yeah, we like that work out that there isn't a <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, and she went through all of this, but she got there in the end, kind of. Yes, and I. It's um, it's interesting because when I, uh, when I first started, you know, when I I wondered whether I could or should write a book, um, I, it was after my third miscarriage, and so you know, I was still very much in a kind of, um, that holding pattern. I didn't know what was going to happen. I didn't know if I would become a mother. Things were with writing the book that I ended up writing starts with my fifth pregnancy um and I did I go on to have I I went on to have my son and I'm very aware when I'm kind of talking about the book and sharing my story that it fits that pattern doesn't it of you know all these that she went through all this but she had her baby Mm. um I hope the book doesn't just try I, I don't want it to kind of try and tie everything that me and my husband went through up in a kind of neat bow because that's not how it has felt to live it um and also because that's so I found that so frustrating when I was first going through um pregnancy loss and and trying for a baby is that all a lot of the stories I saw or could find were told from very much that um the last line was and then we had you know we had our, yeah. we had a baby. Um, I think it does make the book more accessible to more people, though, because we're very uncomfortable with sitting with sadness, and and we need yeah. that hope. I think, and um, you have there is a lot of sadness in your book, and there is a lot of scary statistics which you talk about a lot of the, mm. you know, unanswered questions when it comes to pregnancy loss. It's all in there, um, and I felt my experience was was mirrored as well in the book and I think that it allows people to have both you can read about the depths of uh, pain and trauma people go through um, 
and also all of the different things that people are trying to uh to try and get there whether that you call it a rainbow baby or not whether they Mm -hmm. they end up with what it is that they desire Um, you describe in your book how miscarriages sit in the centre of a Venn diagram of things that make us uncomfortable, sex, death and periods. I just thought that was just on the money. Um, oh, thank you. Thank you. Yeah, I was quite pleased with that one. <laughs> uh, well, it's so true. I mean, if you talk about uncomfortable, that is something pretty uncomfortable to talk about. And you talk about some of the uncomfortable conversations that you've had. Indeed, you you name some of the chapters after some of the awkward and misguided things that people have said throughout your pregnancy loss journey. Um, From my own experiences, I know how important language is and I know how much certain phrases and conversations stick around and they can stick around for a really long time and just come to you in the middle of the night. Years later, you know, whether you have then gone on to have um, a pregnancy where you can bring your baby home, those phrases do stay with you. So, um, what are some of the conversations around this that have really stuck with you? The thing, the one that really sticks in my mind, and it wasn't, um, you know, it wasn't an unkind conversation, but I really remember being told after our first miscarriage, um, I think, you know, I think I got a few of those things that people say, like, one after the other which is you know it's just one of those things it it's very common you know it happens to lots of women I think was the sort of um I remember being kind of learning all that almost in what in one go and being really um really taken aback by it because at that point I just I didn't have any idea really um and I think the reason I say that conversation, which was, you know, that was with the um, the midwife who, who diagnosed our first miscarriage, or confirmed the miscarriage, I should say, um, is because I think that thread comes back constantly to me, this, this kind of fear um, that I'm just making too much of a fuss, mm. um, whether that's in kind of... Um, needing people to make space for that experience or like in in my personal life and whether kind of, you know, not finding certain things difficult or, and, or then, you know, the fact that I um, have written a book about this, the fact that I continue to talk about the book um, Mm. and, you know, to really try to keep this topic um, uh, to kind of keep a little bit, to try and keep that, pressure on to improve things and like you know that it's really become that critical voice in my head that you know oh this happens to loads of women um it's do you think you're the first woman yeah do you think you're the first woman ever to have a miscarriage kind of thing that's like well no no I don't um but yeah and I I'm only it's only really now actually that I um that I realize kind of quite how deep rooted that is that because it that it sort of functions as a kind of self criticism really um so that's one of them, and the other 
um I can't remember I can't remember the exact wording um but I it was it was an idea that I think I think what was said was this baby wasn't meant for you this wasn't or I don't know whether there was a sort of a, a religious element thrown in there or and I just that wasn't your baby you and I just and not not and it wasn't meant in a like uh, it wasn't meant in a kind of uh, a biological sense it was meant as like this wasn't spiritually this was not the child that was meant for you and I I really I really struggle with that I really really struggle with that I think it um I think we don't have the right um we don't have the right reference points and frameworks for this so people take 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 phrases that they have heard (laughs) um really old-fashioned phrases or phrases that are used in other circumstances Mm. um or, or phrases that are meant to be reassuring but actually aren't at all um and saying something isn't meant for you um you know you know that their intention is good and they're Mm. trying to make you feel Mm. better but it definitely does do the opposite no it just no I found I found it so difficult and I find it very something that comes up a lot now because I think um it comes up a lot in what do I mean in sort of the kind of current trend vogue for um kind of self-help practices and self-development and kind of you know what's there's a lot you hear it a lot in kind of what's meant for you and I it's not none of those things are being said to me in a um in a, a a miscarriage context but I think those ideas are quite prevalent and that idea of like um the universe the universe knows what you're ready for or i i don't know those things that people say um can you tell this is not really my not really my vibe um i find i find those things very difficult i think there are some quite flippant phrases bandied around uh clunky medical phrases and flippant Mm. phrases from people and it's not really their fault it's because this is so like you say is this venn diagram of things that are uncomfortable and people grasp for phrases that they have heard their parents use or grandparents use or i haven't personally experienced pregnancy loss but i in in my in one of my other jobs, I spent a lot of time hearing stories about people who had experienced pregnancy loss. And so all of this sounds very, very familiar in what you were saying, Leanne, about these these very old-fashioned phrases that, that we hear time and time again that just are not in any way helpful. Um, but I just wonder... Jenny, from from your own experiences and Liam, from your experiences as well, and from the research that went into the book, do you think there's, as well as this element of just clawing for something to say in place of nothing, do you think as well that there's an element of people trying to problem solve? Yeah, I do. I do. And do you know, it's interesting because... um, some very close friends of ours went through something similar um after um after we had we had had our son and 
or possibly while it was, perhaps it was while I was pregnant. Um, and I could, I would catch myself, my, my brain kind of reaching for those things, you know, when, um, when things weren't working, weren't going to plan. And I, I could kind of, my brain was going for those at least, or, you know, you can try, I mean, I didn't say these things, but I, I would, I would, I could feel myself thinking them or kind of desperately scrabbling for some kind of solution or kind of something that was a, a solution and consolation all in one. And actually, because I have been on the other side of it, I know that those things don't exist, but it, I do think it's a very, you know, I, I do think it's a very natural thing for us to want to do. I would never want, and I mean this, you know, the, the subject of this whole podcast, which is so helpful, I would never want people to avoid the subject altogether because they're f- afraid of saying the perfect thing. I mean, again, that's such a natural thing, isn't it, with grief? And I still find myself doing it um, and, you know, have sent messages apologising for not messaging sooner because I was trying mm. to find the perfect thing to say. Yeah. But, of course, the perfect thing doesn't exist. Mm. Um I think there's a lot of that that goes on as well with um, with miscarriage. If someone hears, on the one hand, you've got people who perhaps don't appreciate what that is actually like and what somebody needs or um, how they might feel. And on the other hand, you've got people who do perhaps appreciate that that is a that somebody is grieving that loss, that that would be a seriously, not serious, a profound thing to go through. Um, and then because they're aware of that, they don't, they don't want to get it wrong. And that I think can lead to saying nothing. Yeah. Fear is a huge fear. It's massive, isn't it? And I, you know, I'm no different, like, um, in, like in other, in other circumstances. Um, so yeah, I think that's a, a big part of it. And I think, and it's so, I think something I've been thinking about a lot recently is that, there's so much nuance in all those things, you know, the physical experience, the the grieving process, the way the words and language we prefer can be so different when it mm. comes to pregnancy loss. Um, I mean, even the word miscarriage. Um, not a fan. <laughs> not a fan. It's, um, yeah, I tried to kind of delve into this a little bit in the book. I think it's, I personally don't mind it. But I also do understand why, like, I don't love it. Yeah. yeah, <laughs> um, yeah. But for me, it, it kind of feels like it, it does the job, I guess. Whereas I know for other people, particularly, um, for, particularly for people who have much later losses, but that clinically are still classed as a miscarriage, um, that's really hurtful and that doesn't do justice to what, and it doesn't, telling somebody they had a miscarriage doesn't actually people don't understand what that actually meant if that happened at 16 18 20 23 weeks you know that's um, absolutely i mean it's a completely different thing i think at that point yeah but that's and i think everybody will have a slightly different take on that and then that makes mm. it very difficult you know people mm. can kind of um tie themselves in knots a little bit and i 
I think really all you can do is follow, take that person's lead. And it, it is difficult because, you know, having said that um, I don't mind the word myself, um, I also sometimes when I say I've had miscarriages, I think there is a still, I think it's getting better. I think there is still a bit of a disconnect between what people understand that to be like to live through. Um mm like the the kind of the how varied an experience it can be even within first trimester miscarriage that can be incredibly different absolutely i think yeah i think the celebrities um and people like yourself who are explaining to people what these what it can feel like physically mm. and it can be so physically traumatic even in the first yeah. um trimester yeah. and emotionally i think that does help it, it's not quite filtering through yet but the the knowledge is there so the language and the reactions might not be keeping up but then the knowledge is broadening and, and that's really helpful um Actually, i think that point around um that, that we talked about earlier with the statistics and you said jenny about this point around how how many people are affected by miscarriage that then sometimes when people are scratching for those terms to use and they say things I, I wonder if we the, the fact that it is happening to so many people makes it, it sort of lessen almost lessens people's grief if that makes sense the, the perception it lessens people's perception of of the grief and the and the heartache that people are experiencing yeah I think yeah, I think that's really true. I think, and I think that's a big part of it. And, and I, you know, going back to that that first conversation I had, I remember very clearly the thought that went through my head. I mean, this is, you know, in the um, hours after kind of no, really knowing that the pregnancy wasn't going to continue. Um, and the kind of weight of that and I you know we were we were devastated um and then kind of in those first moments to be to hear and learn oh it happens all the time it's really common yeah it just I it's like I, I'm not allowed to feel this way I need to just mm. and that's very difficult then to open yourself up to if you're if you're telling somebody there is that fear of rejection and that they will tell you oh yeah yeah, it's really common. Mm. And like sometimes people tell you that in the, like because they're, they're, em they're trying to be empathetic, they're trying to kind of share. And that is, is kind of, you know, they'll say, oh, yeah, I know it, ha our friend, it happened to our friends, it happened to my wife, it happened to you. Um, and that is a, there's, that's a sort of kernel of, of comfort in there, I think. But when, it, when there is just this idea that it happens to lots of people, it can almost, it can almost be heard as you just need to get on with it. Um, mm. It's not a big deal, I guess. Is what you, it risks the subtext potentially um, risks being there, and because you know, then of course the the pra the practical side of it is we do as a society treat it as if it is no big deal. Um, while like there have been small improvements and the conversation is kind of 
moving on a little bit compared to when I had my first miscarriage, certainly. Um, but, you know, you're not really given any follow up care a lot of the time. You won't be tested for anything or kind of there won't be any kind of investigations as to why it happened until you've had three miscarriages you know and that's kind of best case scenario perhaps your workplace doesn't have it in their HR policy you don't you just don't really have a framework for anything about this experience and unless you know unless you've perhaps had close friends go through it who have shared those things but yeah, I think on a societal level, everything does very much give you that impression of this is no big deal. You are expected to handle this on your own. And I guess um, the whole not talking about the fact that for most people, there's still this idea that we don't share our pregnancy news until we're three yeah, months in. Yeah, yeah. It's how do you, what are your thoughts about that? I personally find it really unhelpful. I I think it's really unhelpful. I think, and there's a whole chapter or that's the whole chapter on this in my book for that reason, because I think it is um, that convention that you don't tell anybody um, before you're pregnant before 12 weeks is, yeah, I think it plays a really big part in keeping miscarriage not spoken about and from kind of seeing, seeing how, how other people live with it and go and I mean, you know, if you know that somebody, your friend, took two weeks off work because that was how long it took to recover from the the process or the surgery afterwards, or you know, if you see those things, if you're a little bit more aware of them, I think that helps with that feeling dismissed and just kind of. I think I think that helps. I think that so going back to the the twelve week rule, I which is what I call it in the the book, kind of in, you know, inverted quotes, 12-week rule. It's it's an irony because you don't tell anybody you're pregnant in case something happens. Mm. But then what what if something happens? And I um well, you need you need your you need your friends. support and I and it yeah, it just put it leaves everything that happens in that in those earliest weeks of pregnancy in this kind of hidden ambiguous space and I almost like you know you're kind of expected to just pretend like to pretend that the pregnancy isn't happening which is a strange kind of um it's a strange thing to expect women people and people to do really especially if you're having a really tough first trimester you're just like no I just feel a bit um bit gippy today but I'm fine really yeah well and so people are guessing normally anyway. People probably, you know, she hasn't had a drink or whatever. Yeah. Anyway. It's a, it, it's very peculiar and quite, it feels really antiquated, doesn't yeah, it? Yeah, and it, it, and it, and it, it like is. This. And um, it's, yeah, it's a, it is a very strange thing. And I think, I feel like I didn't, and this is almost the more pregnancies I've I've had and having now also had one full term pregnancy I can kind of say that you know actually that from that first trimester and I didn't have you know <laughs> anxiety aside I didn't have mm. a particularly difficult time of it uh in the first trimester you know just looking at the kind of, you know I didn't have um hyperemesis or anything like that but 
that first it's it's huge and the impact on your body and the way you feel and uh and you're just expected to pretend it's not happening and you have to take all of that kind of it's emotional bad and, luck isn't and it yeah and that's that's and the thing isn't it that's the really like you're tempting fate mm. And, yeah. and I, I definitely, have, well, um, as I've said, I've been through recurrent miscarriage and, mm. uh, and the first, um, the first couple of miscarriages after the first one, I, I still did keep quite dumb early on because I was scared of spooking things. Mm. Um, and then with my last pregnancy, which resulted in my youngest son, I was just like straight from the off pregnant. I need all the support I could get. Be kind to me, you know, be yeah. gentle with me. Um, I just, I needed, I kind of needed everyone to know so that I could get through that first trimester because it's so hard when you're riddled with anxiety. It is, it is really hard. It is really hard. And like, you know, I was the opposite. I think the kind of the, like, intellectually, I think it would be really helpful if we were all more open about, you know, about the first being pregnant like mm. um but by my fourth and basically with every pregnancy we told fewer people um and we didn't tell very many people the first time around either because we were still kind of playing along and it it really did feel like playing along it felt like a bit of a it's just a sort of fun tradition mm. um and because we weren't really given very much information on miscarriage and we didn't know anybody or at least we thought we didn't know anybody who'd had a miscarriage. We didn't really entertain the possibility that anything would happen. And then obviously that was very different going into the second pregnancy. Um, and so, you know, I think we'd, the first time around we told our parents and a couple of close friends who we happened to be at a wedding with, um, and I think I told, I was at a, a party for my mum's my birthday and I told her, you know, her friends had guests. So, you know, but then the second time it was just my mum and two friends we happened to see. And then it just, the list just got smaller and smaller each time. Mm. Um, well, because, I think you do what you need to to mm, protect yourself though mm. when at, at these points. But I think as a, as a kind of societal norm, I think we should it's personal preference obviously but we should yeah. be moving away from the we don't talk about because you talk about in the book if we don't talk about it then it's not deemed really as a pregnancy no, <laughs> or, or and I think... you're kind of you're not really that pregnant whereas you you're mm. kind of either pregnant or you're not and mm. um and I think that yeah by giving it a bit more value early on um and then it normalizes the conversations around around miscarriage well, um, yeah, yeah, I think it does normalise that conversation. And also what it does is it creates that connection that other people have with your pregnancy. Because I okay. think that at the moment, even when people, you know, really want to support you and they really want to, um, you know, they're very sympathetic to what you've been through. Often for most people, if you've not told people you're pregnant and then you sort of say a week later, or you know or on the we 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 had a miscarriage it there's that disconnect between the mm. reality of your pregnancy and how long you've known about it and their experience of it they're kind of mm. it's not 
it never really exists for them in the same way. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, and I think, and again, that I mean, that's <laughs> the irony being that's probably why we started to feel we couldn't tell people because because it it felt like um it just felt like too much expectation on like anxiety mm. to carry on behalf of other people which is mm. yeah I think that's totally valid as well it's really yeah it's um it's complicated it is complicated it is, isn't it it's so hard to find that balance because it's interesting hearing both of you talking about your own different approaches to this and and I guess the the real difficulty is that you don't know what your boundaries mm. are and what your needs are until you're in that situation as well and you're going through it and you're sort of in the eye of the storm um and it, it kind of it really highlights this point and Jenny you mentioned it earlier about it, it's such an individual mm. thing and how people need support is different and actually I guess that then leads on to this question around um you know with this podcast we always want to give people tangible um suggestions and ideas as to how they might you know go about these difficult conversations if they find themselves in that situation so in light of everything that that we've talked about you know if there is anyone listening who knows that they need to or wants to offer support to someone who's been affected by miscarriage and within that obviously we're talking about partners Mm -hmm. as well Mm -hmm. not just the person who is pregnant how would you suggest they might tackle these conversations and is there anything to avoid um I think the thing I always say is that it's it's better to, to the first thing is to acknowledge it in some way if if they've you know if they have shared that this has happened to them it's don't don't ignore it it's better to say something than than nothing um like <laughs> uh within um yeah it's better to, it's generally better to say something than nothing um send a note or a card or i think steering away from things that could be interpreted as a, as as dismissive and I think perhaps like with all grief I think there is a little bit of an acceptance that you're probably not going to say the right thing um mm. like there is no perfect magic thing that is going to make it all better um yeah and like that 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 is hard I know we we all really struggle with that uh, that, I wonder if that comes back to the natural instinct for people to want to fix things that actually... Yeah, can't you can't fix. Time. I think really just sort of perhaps an invitation to listen, to say, you know, if you ever want to talk about this or something that I, I've i always really appreciated is what a friend has said, if you would like to get together, you know, and, and not talk about it and like kind of that that's quite... Mm-hmm personally sometimes what I needed wasn't necessarily um a chance to kind of open up about it uh it was I needed company but I needed like with somebody who knew what was going on but I just needed to I don't know go for a coffee or go and see a silly film or um go for a walk and talk about 
any you know anything but really um mm-hmm. it was but something about doing that with somebody who knows full well what you're going through is really powerful and really comforting so i mean that yeah that was always helpful for me um I think that's really helpful. It's it's not somebody's job to take away the pain. They they can't, they can't do it, that. It's 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 enough to acknowledge the pain and it's either acknowledge the pain and work through it with somebody by having those conversations, especially if you've experienced it yourself, or or like you say, acknowledge it and do something that's going to show you care. And that could be bringing food. I always suggest yeah, food. Food is always good. <laughs> Um, for everything. <laughs> um or or yeah just doing something like I say we can be together and not talk about it so um the, the point about these conversations is also boundaries and when not to say things um and don't yeah. push people if they're not they're not somebody who wants to be open about the ins and outs whether that's the physical or the the kind of emotional fallout of it um so I think that's an important point, Christy, isn't it? That we're like we're talking about difficult conversations, but sometimes there's a point where we we need to stop. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Also, we one thing we haven't touched on so much, and in light of all of this, obviously, you know, we're, we're talking about those really close relationships and those people that we lean on for the support in in those difficult times. Um, how about? the you know for people who are employed what about those conversations with an employer is there anything again from you know from your research and your own experiences any do's and don'ts for somebody who's needing to support an employee perhaps oh just so so from the other way yeah so um supporting an employee so I don't want to kind of get the the actual kind of employment law wrong um I think so it goes both ways I think not expecting people to be back at their desk the day after (laughs) um but also not kind of insisting that somebody needs a month off or you know some if, if they're saying I want to come back to work I think I think it's certainly I've had it in um after different losses, I felt very differently. Sometimes I um, haven't just was not able to go back to work. Um, and I think I, you know, I had two, possibly three weeks off after one. Um, and another time I had surgery on a Friday and I went back into the office on Monday. Um, and I don't really, I, I don't really think that was the wrong decision that felt, you know, I didn't feel great, but at the same time, um, it was a good distraction. And that was just very how I felt. I felt very much like I couldn't keep I I couldn't keep sitting at home. I d I don't know. That was just it was just how I felt at the time. So I think that awareness that people will will need slightly different things and perhaps asking them, what do you need? And I think so actually a lot of the conversations around this focus on that initial recovery period. And I think as an employer, I think, and this goes for fertility treatment as well. I think there needs to be a little bit more awareness of things that we do as part of office culture that can be quite difficult for people who've had a miscarriage recently. Um, 
or lost a baby or who are going through infertility treatment, which isn't to say those things can't happen. So I'm thinking of things like people bringing people who are off on maternity leave, bringing um, bringing their baby in to see everybody um, and kind of collections for maternity leave and and you know all those kind of there are often a lot of throwaway comments made aren't there in offices um particularly female dominated offices i would say um and i i think a little bit just keeping those things at the back of your mind if you know and it, it sounds really obvious to me but i don't know whether it whether it always is if if you know somebody has recently had a miscarriage or if they've had time off for a miscarriage um don't make them do the collection for somebody (laughs) else going off on maternity leave even if you know that is the the kind of thing they would normally do i'm laughing it's it's not funny it's not funny it's the kind of thing that's actually pretty yeah pretty common yeah, that's it. Like, I, I that's not, it's not something that happened to me. I'm not, <laughs> funnily enough, I've never been the sort of, I've never given off the organised uh, vibe. <laughs> I've never been the person to do that kind of um, organisation at work, which now has me questioning uh, what kind of <laughs> impression I was giving off. But um, I know, like, I know it does happen to people and it's really painful. Like, that's a really what do you say? You kind of feel like, well, they know about this. So therefore it was six months ago. Should I, is that it now? Do I need to just kind of be okay? Or like, that's a very hard Mm. thing to, and also it it taps into all those things where you don't want to be, you don't want to be the killjoy, do you? Like, I guess it comes back to that point that's come up a few times is, you know, treating people as individuals and and recognising boundaries seems to be, seems to be the way forward yeah and I think it's just for everybody really it's um I think a little bit more sensitivity at what might be going on below below you know below the the surface in that um because that's perhaps that's the the thing that's that we've not talked about which is that a lot of the time with a lot of people you know um they might not tell you that they've had a miscarriage because it is. Um, because it's amazing it, how many people you find out when, have had that, miscarriage. Yeah, once, once you, you've had once you speak about your own experiences, yeah, absolutely. I've been really struck by. Um, I don't know who pioneered this, but the baby loss awareness movement and the lighting of a candle and posting it on social media. Oh, is that? Was that the I, Ronald Reagan thing? Well, yeah. So there's the awareness month goes back to the the eighties, I think. Um oh, right. Yeah, and there's a yeah, there's an interesting it was it's quite complicated, isn't it? This is a um there's a chapter in the book about how our understanding of miscarriage um relates to our society's kind of attitudes and um thinking around abortion and it's really fascinating chapter oh thank you yeah i was the one and so well pitched thank you that's probably the chapter i was most nervous about including and also the one i kind of really wanted to include does that make because i think Mm, that's so um, important it's i think it is really important and i think 
Yeah. And people are squeamish about it. They are squeamish about talking about those two things because they think yeah. they're conflicting. But yeah, actually... they're not they're not conflicting no. at all. And that's kind of what really that um that's really what I wanted to convey in that chapter. And I because I think certain I again this is sort of something I, I try to talk about from my own experiences that I really struggled in the early days of if I was going to talk about grieving a first trimester pregnancy would people make assumptions about what my politics were or you know did Mm. that mean I had you know and I as somebody who always has been and is pro-choice that was a really difficult thing to Mm. um and you know that and as as you said they're not that's not actually a conflict that's just perhaps um, Could you make that link for us between the the eighties and Ronald Reagan and, and what happened with the baby loss awareness? Yeah, week? sorry, I will. Um, yeah, so, um, so the uh, something I found while writing and researching the book is that the so the awareness week, the baby loss um, awareness month and week, dates back to the eighties, and um, I it was basically ratified by Ronald Reagan who. Uh, famously is very anti-choice and kind of set in motion a lot of what we're seeing now in in you know in um, in America and that kind of rollback of reproductive rights Um, so that I, I go into a little bit more detail in the book but it's that was really kind of uncomfortable for me really because I think there is this because what it really is is that your feelings about a wanted pregnancy uh would be used opportunistically mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. for something that is not we see and, and you know the yeah there's so much about these two things that are deeply entwined um I think actually anybody who is listening um, who is really into women's health and abortion rights would find the book so interesting. I have absolutely loved reading it um, and I would recommend it to not only people who've been through miscarriage but also all of those surrounding them which considering the statistics um, of how many women are affected by this, that's pretty much all of us. So, Jenny, can you tell listeners where they can get a copy of Life Almost? Yes, so it is available pretty much everywhere you would buy books, so Amazon, bookshop.org, Waterstones. Yeah, it's out now. (laughs) It is is absolutely beautiful and... um, Thank you so much for coming on to talk to us about no, thank this. you for having me. Is there anything that we haven't covered that you feel like you would like to mention? Um, I mean, almost certainly. <laughs> um, I wrote a whole book um and still had had lots more to say that came out in the edit. No, um it's perhaps not being as afraid of the conversation it sounds scary and there are lots of kind of things that assumptions that we might have about miscarriage but fundamentally 
your friend that's just gone through it is is still your friend and they still need to be treated like you would treat them for anything else really and I think if you're uncertain what to do I mean this perhaps comes up a lot on the, the podcast for you but if you if if you're uncertain what to say ask them ask them do you want to talk about it or mm. um what can I do or what would help I think don't be afraid to say something and perhaps perhaps this is the, the final thing really is for a long time I felt quite um ashamed is that maybe that's yeah ashamed is probably the right word that as a health journalist I really didn't know very much about this at all until it happened to me and for you know I really struggled with that and I think sometimes we feel like we have to be experts on everything, don't we? And we, yeah. like with the best one in the world, you, you don't have to be. It's okay not to know about this. There are lots of reasons um, with the way that we care for people who have miscarriages and we don't record the statistics and hospitals aren't set up for it and um, antenatal care is not set up for it. Um, there are lots of reasons why you don't know very much about miscarriage or what it's like, or mm. um, it's not really on you. Um, so it's okay, but perhaps try and find out. <laughs> Be I've curious. been nodding along. And, yeah, I think. <laughs> so brilliantly put. Thank you. Because it's such, it, it is such a complicated subject and and it's so emotive and and it is fraught with difficulty mm. and you know even I, i've really enjoyed this conversation i found it so interesting and just loved your insight oh, thank you thank so you. much um and I, i'm sure they'll i'm sure people will take a lot away from this that they can hopefully apply to their own situations yeah thank you i hope so thank you for the opportunity So that was our conversation with Jenny Ag. Christy, what were your thoughts on that? Gosh, it was um it was a really full and interesting and complex episode, I would say, was my was my takeaway. Um I really, as I always do, I just really enjoyed hearing her insight into this. Mm. Um, from such a broad perspective, you know, having obviously, when I say broad, what I mean by that is the fact that she's obviously had so much personal experience herself, but then also having worked on the book, being able to bring so many different facets of what is ultimately an incredibly individual experience. And, um, I, I really liked that point when when we were talking about, you know, why is this such an awkward conversation? Because it is, it clearly still is. Mm. It's a massive taboo. And um, when she said about the Venn diagram of sex periods and death, three things that definitely, definitely make most people pretty uncomfortable yeah. um, when they want to talk about those things. Um, and I thought, yeah, that that's something that I've not really... Um, considered before and I know for a fact having not been somebody who's gone through the experience of miscarriage but having 
been around people who have and I know for a fact I can still remember vividly that awful feeling of just not having any idea of what words to use and then on occasion saying absolutely nothing because of that Mm. um and I think actually having now had this conversation with her I sort of feel like if the opportunity arises I would love to go back and try and maybe put that right a little bit um yeah because it is so hard and I really hope if anyone else is listen you know anyone listens to this and has found themselves in the same situation will now have some anchor points that they can go oh actually here's some do's and don'ts you know I'm terrified of saying the wrong thing but actually you know to her point always say something Mm. and actually it's really nice to have at least some pointers around obviously it's always such an individual experience and as a result of that the chances are you might get it wrong, but that's okay. Um, it's always the better option than not saying anything. So, um, yeah, I thought that was really, really useful. The other thing that I, I felt was really, really valuable was this idea of not always about how it's not always necessarily about the words either. So acknowledging what someone's been through, but then actually sometimes if they, I think her words were, you know, they just want to watch a silly film, but be there with them through that experience. And I thought, oh yes, definitely, definitely. And I think that's another of those really universal things. Um, And again, you know, I hope that's something that's helpful with these podcasts is that sometimes some of the advice that comes out, I think I could apply that to so many different situations, you know, and obviously with I was going to say if someone's going through grief and actually that was something else that we touched upon wasn't it that there is so much grief that that goes along with these experiences um and actually yeah just how to physically be with somebody to support them I found that really really helpful um and lastly I think the, the work area that we touched upon again just this idea of, uh, so we sort of segued into the discussion around work and how long people are off and things like that. Um, and then going back to this point about, gosh, the, the weirdness about how, you know, with pregnancy and spending that, you you know, often that first trimester with it being completely shrouded in secrecy and how that's really unhelpful because then if something awful does happen, and even if it doesn't, it's such a, crazy crazy time um and can ultimately be incredibly difficult for people um having that added layer of secrecy over the top of it just adds complexity to what is already a really complex situation in its own right so yeah loads and loads to to take away from that one I found how about you yeah I mean definitely loads to take away from it I mean it was a, it was a long conversation and could have been even longer um there is so much and her book is uh also quite a a, a big tone because there's just so much to cover with this mm. and obviously it was a really personal one for me um 
so I'm really thankful to Jenny for for what she's doing in opening up this conversation. Um, I was going to read a bit from Jenny's book because I want people who are listening to understand what a beautiful book it is. I mean, she she writes so uh, lyrically, so poetically, mm. so poignantly. Um, as somebody who's been through this, like you really do you think she is articulating your grief um your mm. yearning your um your frustration as you look into this chasm where the research should be and mm. um but i'm not going to read it because it's so personal to her and i'm i'm really mm. grateful that um she has also in the book we didn't do it so much in the podcast but she's really gone into detail on the physicality of a miscarriage mm. and this is an area that we don't talk about um yeah. because it is so difficult and so awkward um and i have also done that on emma hazlitt's um big fat negative podcast mm. so if people are interested to know more about what actually happens to a woman um when she's going through uh, a miscarriage um, and the physical fallout of that as well as the emotional, then do have a look at the book and Emma's yeah. podcast. Um, and I I was hoping to come on here and like have a really neat solution for people who are looking for things to say um, when somebody has a miscarriage. But actually, as we discussed in the po- podcast, it is more complex than that, and the cases are individual. And... and in my experience, I experienced three miscarriages over two years and lots of um, tests and whatnot in between my sons. And sometimes certain responses were welcomed and sometimes they weren't. So that's mm. the reality of it. So at some points I wanted to talk about the physical trauma yeah. and at other times I was blindsided when people asked me mm. outright, <laughs> you know, yeah. really quite... Um, sensitive questions about the physicality of it and I was really taken aback um and then other times I wanted to talk about the emotional trauma and other times I just wished it had never happened and I didn't have to talk about it so it's not an easy thing and it's what it is requiring of the other person is a really strong antennae and a really high emotional intelligence um and if you're not in the room with somebody it's very difficult to pick up on those signals and you know we are often quite far away from um our loved ones or people who trying to communicate about this and one Mm. thing I will say is that I did have a, a bit of a sticky situation with somebody close to me where I didn't quite get the reactions I was looking for but um years later uh she gave me a card um expressing how sorry she was for me about what had happened how she understood more about it and that meant the world so for somebody listening who hasn't managed to find the right words yet and would like to go back and have a redo (laughs) It's, um, it's absolutely possible and it mm. you know most women not all women but for most women um you don't forget and you never forget um and actually for a lot of us there are daily reminders um so there is never a 
bad time to kind of revisit it. I mean, obviously, like I say, use your emotional IQ, like maybe not in the middle of a party when everyone's having a good time. But like in general, this is something that you can get come back to. It is something that um, I feel very passionately about. I would that I spoke to Jenny about the book. I think this book could be a game changer in the way she talks about um, research as well as mm. the conversations uh, around um, miscarriage and abortion. And but. I'm so in awe of Jenny mm. in putting things mean. out there that I never could. And I think a lot of women will um, reap the benefits of her honesty. Yeah. And <laughs> you might have noticed um, you've got mm-hmm. whatever the podcast equivalent of photobombing is by some seagulls outside my window when you were talking. So there might be a little bit of seagull noise. <laughs> oh. Hopefully the mic didn't pick it up too much, but... Um, I I didn't hear any seagulls dive bombing, but um, I have because <laughs> I live by the sea as well, and uh, I, I know I know the <laughs> the issues. I was on a call with somebody, and they were like, "Is that is someone outside screaming?" And I went, "No, no, it's just just seagulls. <laughs> That's all." So Christy and I live both live by the sea, but different seas. Yeah. <laughs> very far very away different. from each other, actually. <laughs> so. <laughs> Moving on to what we've been listening to of late, um, Christy, what's been in your ears this Ooh, week? Oh, loads actually. Um, have I talked about Angela Scanlon's Thanks a Million before? Off, off the podcast you have, because I know you love Angela Scanlon. Yes, yes. So, oh, I love her so much. I'm so excited that she's going to have another series out open. <laughs> and I'm just obsessed but the podcast is um, oh, it's really nice. It's her talking to a variety of guests, one guest per per show, just about different elements of thanks. So there's, you know, thanks that got away where you get the opportunity to talk about, you know, whether it was a teacher that inspired you that then passed away that you weren't able to say how much they inspired you or, you know, a kind stranger there's been some quite interesting ones around that kind of theme um and then there's the thank you next as well you know the things that people are so happy to get rid of so it covers loads of ground but all under this concept of being thankful so it's it's really uplifting and i you know it starts really nicely with you know three things that people are thankful for so i find her really fun and i really like her voice anyway so yeah how about you um i have been listening to um a couple of um very kind of female orientated um podcasts i've been listening to dirty mother Pucker Ooh, nice. with um anna mm. whitehouse and polly hazelwood and that's really good just they're, they're a bit um lewd which i like um, <laughs> Love a bit of lewd. yeah very funny and they cover such a wide range you know the big things in life and then the really teeny tiny things yeah. in life and uh, anna whitehouse is just a really good uh all-rounder isn't mm. she with all the stuff that she does um so i really enjoyed that and then i've just found one called bang on oh, it what's that um and it's these two women comedians, actors, um, and they're just, they are hysterical, like LOL, mm-hmm. hysterical. And it's really addictive. And 
yeah I could just I I found myself I didn't realize I'd listened to three episodes <laughs> and I was doing various chores around the house and I thought oh my god three episodes <laughs> in it's just uh, it's that kind of one where you just keep on listening because they're so funny oh, um but they were also actually uh talking about being childless by choice mm. Um, which again, I think is something worth exploring. Um, we're talking in today's podcast, obviously, about losing pregnancies, and um, for the most part, that's incredibly devastating. Um, but there are swathes of women who are childless by choice, and I think that's definitely something that would be good to explore. Mm, yeah, definitely, definitely, definitely. And we should say as well, obviously, male and female people who are childless by choice but obviously a lot more a lot more focus gets put on oh how can a woman be childless by choice um yeah yes absolutely that's a really good point i'm glad you made that oh it's, it's a bit just, late in the evening uh, for me to be making uh, good points no it's all right it's my uh ah oh, i'm on my high horse about a few things <laughs> along these lines so um oh, yes yeah. i like it when you're on your high horse <laughs> although how did you get on it christy <laughs> I mean, are we talking stepmother? <laughs> I'm very short, listeners, by the way. That was a short jibe. <laughs> that was a short jibe, but because I'm about an inch taller than you, I think I can kind of get away oh, with no. it. Oh, no, don't be hard on yourself. I think you might be two inches bigger than me. <laughs> Maybe two inches. What's a couple of inches between friends? Um, anyway. Oh, we're getting um, giddy yes, again. Ch- giddy hour. <laughs> we, do you know what? It really is when we get to the end of these, we just go, we just go a bit kind of, La la, don't we? <laughs> we do, we do. I was delighted yesterday <clears throat> for anyone who's heard the episode where Leanne and I descend God. into talking about wanging and wanging off together, etc. You can imagine. Uh, to be at the show of the delightful comedian Phil Wang last night, whose back- entire backdrop was the word wang on repeat. So obviously I was thrilled with myself. Wait, you were at- you were actually yeah, there. Yeah, that's where I that's where I got the picture that oh, I sent you with God. no context whatsoever. <laughs> okay, now it makes sense. Oh. I thought you'd just been looking for I thought you'd been looking for oh, something no. that said wang No, it. no, that was that was uh, a live action shot of wanging in action. Excellent. Oh, God. We're well, again. As you know, time to wang off, Leanne. Oh, no. Time to wang off. <laughs> we're at it. We're at it. Um let's uh, wrap Indeed. it up with a big warm hug. Yes. Well done for lasting so long, listeners, if you're still with us. Um, With the one listener that's still there, I hope you have a lovely day or evening. Indeed. See you next time. See you next time. Thank you for listening to This Is Awkward, the podcast about how to have difficult conversations. We hope you enjoyed the show. You can find us on Instagram at Awkward Podcast, or you can email us at hello at thisisawkward.co.uk. Please do hit follow or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And five-star reviews will also help us expand our audience as we tackle life's most challenging chats. The content of this show is not meant to take the place of professional help, such as clinical and counselling support. Please do contact your healthcare provider, HR team, other professional body or a reputable charity to seek proper help for yourself if you've been affected by any of the issues in our show. Until next time. Take care, everyone. Thank you.